What's up, Gareth? How are you doing this morning? Hey, Scott. Long time no speak. I feel like it's been at least at least 30 minutes since we last chatted. Couple green candles. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take it. Gareth, what's up, man? How are you this morning? I was getting the hundreds from Gareth, so I know he can speak. He's giving me the hundreds, but that that's uh, that's the trick I use when Mario tries to cut me off at the end of the stream. When Mario says, hey, Scott, give us a wrap-up to end the stream. And I know he's going to play a joke on me, and so I just start throwing up hundreds. My It's my go-to move. I refuse refuse to be the guy to, to wrap up the streams anymore. So we're just getting all the uh, speakers up on stage here. Of course, everyone, I hope you're having a wonderful Tuesday. Obviously, a bit of a uh, slow news cycle we're having at the moment, but uh, that doesn't generally stay the case for very long as we've seen in this market so many times. Inside yeah. Yep. What do you what do you make of uh, uh, Brian Armstrong meeting meeting with a Democrat now that there's a BlackRock ETF? Uh, now that there's a Black, BlackRock have partnered up with uh, Coinbase. All of a sudden, uh, you know, Brian Armstrong is meeting with the Democrats. So what do you make of it? I've par for the course. I mean, I, I don't, you know, the, the, the Democrats is such a broad. Uh, I, when I read those stories, I'm like, which Democrats specifically? These parties obviously have multiple factions, but I think things are obviously moving slowly in the right direction. I, I, these are meetings. I think that he's always kind of been having when when I get news that says Brian Armstrong is taking a meeting with Elizabeth Warren or Gary Gensler. That's when I'll really start to uh, have a major opinion on the topic. But I, I think obviously he's trying to strike while the iron is hot. Right. I mean, the SEC is clearly on their heels. And uh, if he can go apply political pressure now, is the time to do it. what about so I, I'm not American. I don't really understand the politics as well as the Americans on this uh, stream do it. I'm very interested to understand why is Elizabeth Warren so powerful? What what makes her so strong and so powerful? Like when, when I talk, when I hear her talking, I, I mean, I, it sounds to me like she's a a blabbering fool, to be honest. Um, I mean, what what is it that that makes her so powerful? How does she have so much political power? Who's behind her? What, what what's the story? Well, she's been around forever, uh, and she's on the right committees. You know, I think she's the chair of the finance committee in in the Senate, and the Senate is arguably the more uh, more powerful house uh, in Congress. And I think she's just been around a hundred years. She knows how to pull favors. She knows how to pull strings, and she's got everybody under her thumb. I think it's just the nature of politics in this country. But many, if you dig in really deeply, uh, we've had guests who have talked about it quite a bit. But you know, she is the person that from a financial perspective, from a market perspective, people believe has the most power in all the Democratic Party, which is obviously why uh, she's become sort of public enemy number one. And you have to listen very carefully when she says things like that she's raising an anti-crypto army. I mean, many obviously think that Gary Gensler is effectively her appointee um, and that she's pulling the purse strings left and right. I, you know, And David, listen, we could just go ahead and start talking about this right now before we get into the main topics. Uh, James, David, both of you have your hand up. Either of you, go ahead, James, jump in, then David. Yeah, I'll go. So I, I would add a little bit further there. The other part is she's like the leader of the left wing of the Democratic Party, if you think about it that way. Biden is the leader of the Democratic Party. The left wing, it's like Elizabeth Warren is the de facto leader. Um, and part of this is stuff I've heard from people in Washington, from my colleagues and other people who have contacts there. They, there was basically an agreement between Biden and Warren that like, 
Warren would have some power over the appointees in in some of these positions at the head of the FDIC, at the head of the SEC, all of these things. So it, the, all these jokes about um, like Gensler being beholden to Warren, like some of it's a little extreme, but it's also not that far off the mark. Some it's like, I don't like, think it's, it's far off. Yeah, yeah, it's not far off. Like they actually, she, he actually does basically report into her. Um, th- th- he only got appointed. There was there was issues with his potential appointment. And his appointment kind of came down to the fact that he had to count, like, basically bow to the left wing, the Democratic Party. So Gensler wants to be Treasury Secretary. He's a politician, first and foremost, and a regulator, second. So his goal is to basically stay in line with the left wing of the Democratic Party, because through them is his way to get to other positions. So it's 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 that's an open secret in basically Washington. Agree. And we've had multiple we've had multiple conversations, both publicly and privately where we speak with Democratic lawmakers, people around the country, literally in all kinds of different uh, constituents, and they all say, well, we're actually pretty bullish on crypto, but we can't really say it right now. You know, <laughs> uh, wink, wink, hint, hint, because Elizabeth doesn't like it. And and we've heard that enough times that I think it's somewhat substantiated. Uh, David, can we- Yeah, so let me jump in here. I actually have a longer history with Elizabeth Warren than most. So Uh, Elizabeth Warren has been in the Senate for 10 years. Prior to that, she was a Harvard Law School professor teaching bankruptcy. I'm a bankruptcy wonk by background. I studied bankruptcy law, practice bankruptcy law. Um, She's a very well-educated person, very well-spoken person. She may be worse than a career politician, which is an academic. And she's not an academic from the corporate side. Her focus in bankruptcy was consumer bankruptcies, which is a very small and somewhat insignificant, albeit for those debtors, it's very significant that, you know, individuals like go bankrupt. But, you know, generally in terms of the meaningfulness of bankruptcy, individual bankruptcy in the United States, it's not a very meaningful area, but that's where she comes from. And that's where her left leaning tendencies start, which is, I see the downfall of individuals in bankruptcy. I want to see them be able to either restructure themselves, rehabilitate themselves, discharge their debt and so on and so forth. And she took that torch very quickly in 2013 when she was elected to the Senate to start the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. That was her brainchild and her baby. Um, And frankly, it comes from a place which thematically makes a lot of sense with everything that she argues for. Her argument is big business is incredibly bad for the United States. It crushes the individual. It goes ahead and essentially bankrupts them. I know from experience, she says. And so therefore, she is constantly on the side of the little guy. And she believes that all of her policies are going towards that. And then in terms of her power, I would say that she is one of the most well-spoken. I I know, Rand, you don't like the way she speaks, but she's actually an incredibly educated. She's a Harvard She's not an idiot. Um, she may say idiotic things, uh, but she, she sounds very good, especially when she wants to go ahead and prepare her remarks. And also, she knows how to grill the shit out of people. And that she got from grilling Harvard Law School students all day long, you know, for the tenure of her, you know, professorship career. Last thing I want to say, and this goes back to Brian Armstrong, BlackRock. I don't know if everybody noticed, but BlackRock went ahead and today announced that they have appointed the chairman or the CEO of Saudi Aramco uh, to their board of directors. Um, 
you know, BlackRock for a number of years now has been the do-gooder in the world, the champion of ESG, yada, yada. And it sounds like BlackRock's getting the message that if you don't make money, you know, clearly they're the largest wealth management, asset management firm on the planet. But at the end of the day, they, they need to constantly be replenishing capital, building capital. Major capital in Saudi, I don't care what you think about them politically. I don't care what you think about their oil. At the end of the day, Saudi Aramco is now on the board of BlackRock. Similarly, Larry Fink has changed his tune with respect to crypto, has recognized the validity and the value of it, and he is now championing championing it. And I think that that's- Yes, the champion of ESG. Yeah, the champion of ESG is now champion. Exactly. Well, the champion- the champion of ESG, the champion of ESG appoints uh, the what do you say, the CEO, the chairman of Saudi Aramco uh, to his board. I mean that. Um, yeah, once 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 the PGA sold to Live Golf, it was over for people saying they wouldn't take Saudi money anymore. But that's a topic for 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 a different day. I think we should start here with a market update. Of course, we have Bitcoin about to nuke as the uh, topic to to get you guys in the room. Gareth, are you there? Because I would love for you to give us a quick thought, uh, your quick thoughts on the market, and then we'll probably move on to the ETF after we do a market uh, update. Go ahead. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And uh, and thank you, guys. Um, so, so yeah, what we have right now, and again, you know, the last few times I've been on the spaces with you guys, we've talked about that range from 30 to 31,000, where Bitcoin now has been stuck since basically before July, right? So going back to that pump up that we saw in the BlackRock news, it stalled right at 31,000, which interestingly enough was the high from April as well. So we know that's kind of a resistance point. It's also a resistance point going back to the lows from the 2021 bull market. When we dipped in that middle portion after hitting 65, we went down to 30, 31. We then rallied to 69. So that continues to be a huge level. Yeah, that yep. low was exactly actually just to, for clarity, the low between the 65 and 69 highs was 28,600, which is why I'm actually watching that level here as well. Yep, absolutely. So so one of the things I'm watching here is we're now dipping right to that 30,000 level and we hammered on it yesterday. It got saved and, and closed. The daily close was back above 30,000, which was very good. Today, we're right on the cusp of that. So my concern is this, is that if we close below and kind of stay there for a day or so, you're going to have a lot of people starting to, to question the bull case and, and potentially throw in the towel, which could cost cost cause a cascade effect in Bitcoin's price action down to what you mentioned, that 28.5 level, and then potentially as low as around 26,700. The 26,700 level is amazing because if you connect the lows from January to the dip that we had in March, which was on that the beginning of the financial crisis, that, that banking crisis, to the dip that we had in June, that's a trend line that slopes perfectly up to that 26,700 level. So again, your levels to watch here, number one is 30,000 on the downside. If it breaks that on a daily closing basis, start looking at 28.5. And then if that breaks, 26,700. I must say, say, Gareth, I was uh, was, uh, sick in bed uh, a couple of weeks ago and I did your course. I did uh, your your trading course. It is such, it's such an amazing course. It's such an absolute absolute treat uh i'm not a very oh. good trader uh, yeah, i'm not a very good trader as you, as you well know i'm much more of a, a long-term investor but i've done sniper school which is sheldon school and i've done your school and i think uh i'm starting to really 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 understand the chart uh, i must say I, I highly 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 recommend it for anyone who hasn't uh who hasn't done it already well, uh, gareth what's what's the website is it is it called verified investing right 
Yeah, verifiedinvesting.com. And, and thank you, Rand. That's really kind of you. I appreciate that. And I'm glad it's it's useful to you as well. And I know I've seen, by the way, from when I first met you and, and I first came on in the bull market on your show to where you are now, night and day, uh, amazing, amazing, man. So I must say, I, I want to agree with everyone here that that this rally's probably run out of steam. And, you know, I agree with the technical analysts that the fact that we haven't been able to break that 31,000 more or less level uh, continuously or to close above it on the daily for, for a number of days is concerning. But the, the, the one thing that I am seeing is the sentiment on Twitter today is everybody believes this rally is breaking down. I, I haven't seen one account say that there's a, an upside target. Everyone believes this rally is trading down. And what I've also learned, when everyone believes that this rally is trading down, that's the point of max pain for the market to give you an up, an, an up can. So, you know, I, I agree with the tech. And I agree with it. I agree that we've been ranging between this thirty-one and this twenty-nine or twenty-eight or whatever the the number is that I have. Also, know that the market does the opposite of what the majority of the traders in the market are, are, are looking for. And the majority of the traders in the market are looking for a downward And that's the only thing that keeps me saying, you know what? I think this this next channel is actually going to surprise everyone. But yeah, I don't disagree with that. But Gareth, I want to just. Going back to what you said as well, along those lines, talk about 38, 28, 5, 26, something. You're talking about those as if they're dips to buy. So, and I think, Rand, to your point, I think a lot of people are looking for a dip, but I haven't heard anyone saying that the top is in. So I do think people still expect it to go up. After, but but the sentiment uh, is, Scott, the sentiment that I'm hearing in the market is, as soon as it dips, I'm going to be buying. That's that, that's what I'm hearing from everybody. So like, if I, if I, if I listen to the market, Barring one or two people like Kappa and and you know that 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 community which is uh, which have been calling Bitcoin down to twelve grand and, and and still keep calling Bitcoin down to ten grand, baffles my mind how people are still follow that. But I mean, well, bar, barring barring that, like most people that I speak to are saying, when there's a dip, we're going to buy. And if if that's the case, when people talk about when the dip we're going to buy, then they, they just can't be a meaningful dip because people are just sitting on sitting on the sidelines with cash ready to buy. Well, but also keep in mind that that's where the market can make us all look a fool, right? Is that, you know, we're all ready to buy the dip and yep. then the market's like, no, not so fast. We're going to flush it out even more. And I, I'll say this is that that 26,700 area, that's a, that's the connecting uptrend line of the recent lows going back to December of 2022 or early 2023. That would be the point where if we break that, that's where I would start to say, uh-oh, this could get nasty because then you break the uptrend. And again, right now where it's a very clear uptrend in Bitcoin, higher, higher lows, if that starts to break, that then becomes in question. Yeah, I don't disagree. Yeah, Rand, my first instinct when you described that was that we get the bigger nuke, not the earlier bounce. But those are the only two scenarios when everyone well, was expecting one thing. I mean, I, I, one thing I did notice today, um, and probably worth mentioning, is that I'm, I've been trying to, I, as I mentioned to you, I've taken a position where I'm going long on Solana and short on, on BNB token. Now, I mean, I explained it in one of my shows a couple of weeks ago as to why I'm doing that. Uh, it's a it's a market move neutral neutral trade because you know if the market goes up i'm expecting them both to go up together and if the market goes down i'm expecting them both to go up together but i do think that finance has got a few headwinds and i think solana has probably passed its headwinds so one thing i mentioned is i have been looking to take more on that position the problem is that the funding rate on bnb is very very high now when the funding rate is very very high uh and it's sorry it's high and negative when that happens what it means is that the market's expecting bad news on bnb now, I'm not saying that it's going to happen. I don't know anything. I don't have any inside information. All I'm saying is 
the last time that I saw this was before we, we got the SEC action against uh, Binance. So what I'm seeing is I'm seeing a lot of fun on the timeline and I'm seeing a very, very, very high funding rate if you want to short BNB. And so that, I mean, I guess if you're looking for something that could nuke the market to below the 26th level, if you're looking for the fundamental story that could bring the technical story to life, you know, if we did hear some bad news about Binance, um, that's one of the things. Though, though I must say, uh, I do think that in the long term, the market, as every day goes by, the market is starting to price uh, BNB FUD more and more into the market. In other words, you know, initially it was like, you know, the SEC will never go after Binance. Then the SEC went after Binance. Now we're saying, look, the DOJ will never go after, you know, there's a, there's a threat about the DOJ going after Binance. Initially it was like, never. Now it's like, well, maybe. And soon it will become, well, probably. And so the market starts to become, okay, you know, it's almost like starts to become okay. With, yeah, I don't even think the market reacts majorly if by if there's DOJ charges against Binance well, at this point. Yeah, exactly. I, just, I think I think I think that's that, that that's exactly the point. So the more time that goes past, the more time people have to rationalize to rationalize. This. Again, for the record, I do think that maybe in in their past, Binance did some things that were maybe not exactly by the rule book as well as Coinbase did things by the rule book. But in general, I think that they always run in good faith. I don't think we have an FTX scenario. I just think it was a business that grew very quickly without the right systems and processes in place that didn't keep up. You know, it's like, I, I remember in 2017, we all used to trade shit coins on Binance because Binance used to list them quicker than Coinbase. And that's where Binance got its market share now. And, should and that's, by the way, why people started trading on FTX because they started to add perps in real time for brand new coins. Yeah, so if you're looking for a fundamental story that can that can, that can can match that technical story, that's one of them. And I guess the other thing that, that could happen is we could get some kind of stock market correction because I think Gareth will be the first guy to tell you that probably the stock market needs a correction too. We've been going. Yes, a lot of stuff. Yeah, a lot of stuff on Friday. <laughs> that's. I mean, that's. And just just to be clear, is like you know, I'm a huge long term bull on Bitcoin, but my my biggest concern that I think no one's pricing in is that at some point some of this economic data, and we saw economic data today that's that was weaker than expected. The jobs still have been holding up, but at some point, if we did, let's say, drop twenty percent in the Nasdaq. How does Bitcoin hold up in that scenario? And I think that that's the case where we could see the low 20s or even lower where it kind of just freaks everyone out because right now everyone's so bullish on Tesla, so bullish on NVIDIA, so bullish on all these tech stocks. If that were to kind of be a rug pull down, then again, you have flight of capital overall. Right. Uh, guys, uh, really quickly, we have a, it's a bit of breaking news. Justin Bitwise's spot Bitcoin ETF application is now on the federal register uh james and steve uh can obviously give us a lot more color on what's happening there we'll come back to discuss the market further later but i do want to talk about what's happening in the etf world obviously blackrock's uh application was accepted by the secs under the review then valkyrie so steve we're going to talk about right now it looks like maybe bitwise unless i'm wrong that this is the similar getting getting third in line so steve can you give us some uh color on what's happening there obviously your valkyrie uh and seemingly second in line correct um, well, it all depends. Um, and maybe what I'll do is talk a little bit about how 19 v 4 applications work. Uh, there's, there's a lot of speculation on Twitter and elsewhere about how they work and what it means and who's first in line and who's second in line. And, um, and, and I, and I think most of, most of it is wrong. J J James Safer is probably the only one out there that, uh, is actually doing it right. 
Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be friends with James because he's probably one of the smartest dudes I know. Um, but, um, I'll, I'll tell you how 19 before applications work. A lot of people speculate that because something is filed on a certain day, then there's a, there's a drop dead day. The sec has to take action on it. Well, that doesn't mean that that's the day that the sec takes action. It means that they have to take action by that day and that action can either be approve, deny, or postpone until another day. Um, generally, the way that 19B4 applications work, it isn't necessarily who files first or who gets accepted by the SEC first. Uh, it generally is who's right. You know, so uh, a 19B4 application can be, you know, simply created and filed for a bunch of people. And uh, the information in the filing may not be what the SEC is actually looking for, whereas another filing might be exactly what they're looking for. So, um, so, and then the other the other circumstances. What if they're all pretty much the same, right? Uh, when they're all pretty much the same and they're all filed around the same time, the SEC could very simply just, you know, all the ones that are correct. Uh, or, or all the ones that answer the questions the SEC is asking for, they could just say, all right, we're going to let them all go, go at the same time, regardless of when it was filed, regardless of when the date is that they have to answer by. So uh, it is actually possible that all go at the same time, uh, the handful that actually answer the questions and, 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 and have subs substantial information in them uh, all go first at the same time, or they could go in, you know, or they all could go in order. Well, Steve, does that open the door? Sorry, does that open the door for them to also kind of the inverse of that to pick a winner? If there's five or six that are all, you know, accurate, they could just choose one that they like the best and let it go first, a.k.a. BlackRock. They, they could do that. Absolutely. And, and, and generally when people talk about, you know, which filing was first and that's generally the order that things are picked in, that generally has to do with S1s, not the 19 before application. So S1 is the actual ETF filing that the issuer files, right? The 19B4 is a rule change uh, for an exchange. So anytime that you talk about, you know, order, it's usually the S1s, not the 19B4s. Interesting. James. James. Yeah. This is all he does is cover this stuff. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jay. I'm sorry that your job is to have to do this all day, James, but, to, but have at it. Yeah, I've gotten... Uh... I've lost a lot of brain cells reading about this whole process and trying to keep up with it. Um, but before I say any of this, and I agree with everything Steve said, right? They're deadlines. They're not, this is the decision that the, the date that the decision is going to drop. In the past, they have denied multiple on the same day, even though their deadlines weren't for weeks. Um, so that that's not, that's not out of the order. The other thing I want to say is like, the SEC can pretty much back into whatever the hell they want to, right? Like they could argue that they're approving this because this filing had something they specifically they were looking for. Like the SEC can, if they really want, they can do kind of what they want to do. Um, the one thing I will say with this Federal Register, Bitwise is ahead of this wave. Like the if we're talking clock and just what's going first, Bitwise is the first of this most recent wave. Arc of Arc Twenty One shares is technically months ahead on the same timeline. Um, there was talk around Twitter and in my like world of FinTwit that if they put all these on the Federal Register on the same day, it might be an indication that the SEC is leaning towards approval. That's what we I was looking for. I thought the odds were pretty low, but it was something I was watching for because 
it would basically be the SEC kind of showing their hand that they're getting ready to possibly approve these, just putting them on the same timeline. There won't be any questions. They didn't. Ha- they didn't do that. Bitwise was first today, um, and then theoretically we should see uh, all the others posted the Federal Register tomorrow, which is like when the official official clock starts. But really, as far as I'm concerned, it starts when they post it to the SEC website, and then 99% of the time, six days later, it's posted to the Federal Register, which again is when the clock actually starts. Um, but I agree with everything Steve said in that, like the SEC can just decide on all of these at the same time if they really want. They could give them all the go ahead because all of them are going to be in this 19B4 process. Now, I think that the decision will either come within. So basically, the courts are going to decide in this GBTC case, right? Then the SEC will have, I believe, from my understanding, like 45 days to respond, either deny for other reasons or approve. Um, so I think. Within 45 days of that GBTC decision from the federal judge panel, we'll have an answer on whether these things are going to be approved. And then the next area is ARC 21 shares. They're filing the final deadline. We're estimating to be around January 10th of 2024. My personal view is that if they don't get approved on that date, then I don't think any of these are getting approved. So basically, like, I think they'll they'll get approved. And if ARC 21 shares gets approved, say they go a day earlier, then they'll just approve all the others right after. Because for the most part, as far as I'm concerned, there isn't super strong differences between them aside from where they're listed. Steve and Valkyrie are going to be listed with NASDAQ, obviously. Um, they're, they're partnered with iShares. They were the first ones to do that surveillance sharing agreement with Coinbase. So there's arguments the SEC could make that they were the first ones to get the SSA. Who knows? But really, I'm just going to go back before I stop talking that the SEC can kind of like they can win, finagle like however they want this to play out in reality. Yeah. This is- yeah so, Jade, so if the SEC is allowed to do whatever they want here, uh, uh, the one place they've clearly not been able to do whatever they want is deeming things securities because Gary Gensler was very disappointed yesterday in the Ripple decision. I've got to imagine there's somebody else on stage today who's a little uh, confused. Jeremy? Uh, considering library, obviously, you guys were deemed a security. You've kind of ended up being the whipping boy of the SEC. And now the SEC is on their heels uh, with the courts. What do you make of it, Jeremy? That was a great setup for someone. Who's yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm sure everyone uh, uh, loves it when I just uh, you know, rant against these people. It's, it's obviously tremendous for them uh, to take this loss. And, you know, I think the biggest thing that this does, because I actually think it's legally debatable, all this stuff, where it will all play out. But that's what's important, actually, is that it's clearly legally debatable. So this line that Gensler's been going around saying about how the rules are clear. I mean, you just can't give this line at all uh, anymore. Uh, you just can't do it. Um, and so I, I actually do not think, you know, I, I just I don't take the opinion that it actually is clear. I still don't know what I can do. I wish my own government would tell me. I wish someone would tell me. I wish uh, third parties, you know, if they believe that library can be traded and sold and so on legally, I wish that they would, you know, start doing that. I mean, there's still, you know, regardless of, of, of this ruling, there is still a huge chilling effect in the industry that's coming from the SEC. Everyone is still very scared about what they can and can't do. And so while, you know, I'm very happy to have gotten this victory, I mean, it is, it's, it's still, in my view, a pretty small piece of, of, of what we need if we actually want to be able to freely trade and use uh, cryptocurrencies, uh, you know, in the U.S. Yeah, Jim. So after, I don't know. Yeah, so I must say, I, um, I read the court transcripts for the hearing. I think it was Coinbase against the SEC. There was some kind of preliminary hearing or something like that. 
uh, on last week, and I read the court transcripts. And one of the things that that struck me about the judge and is that the judges in these cases are looking for any type of precedent. So the one thing that the judge said, the judge said something like, um, "Is there any?" Are there any similar cases or anything like that? And li- library was obviously quoted quite a bit. And the judges rely very, very much on past ruling from from other judges. Now, I think that what we got with Ripple and the SEC was we finally got a ruling that is in our favor, as opposed to if you look at all the previous uh, cases, um, the, the previous cases all strengthened the SEC's case. And what struck me when I read this is I said, hold on a second. If the SEC goes after a whole lot of a whole lot of weak cases, when I say weak cases, I'm saying cases that are not as well funded as the Coinbase case or the Ripple case, which means that you know it's it's like the SEC is coming and, and can basically bulldoze them. And and I'm sure in Library's case, you guys must have felt the same way that you, you didn't have as much money as the SEC. You could only make use of the the resources that you had in order to defend. And maybe if you had more resources, you guys could have presented something better, something stronger. Maybe the outcome would have been different. But what what struck me was just how important these legal these legal judgments are in weakening the SEC. I wonder how you feel about that. Well, I I think it's there's two separate processes, and they're remarkably decoupled. You have the actual legal process that's playing out of what is the law of of you know of circuit courts and uh, and eventually the supreme court and then you have this this process of public perceptions how do people think reality has changed as a result of these things um happening right and you know and they're both important because when public perceptions don't match the law and a bunch of people start doing things frequently what happens is the law changes Okay, I mean, I think one of the best models for the cryptocurrency industry is what happened with um, with DraftKings and fantasy sports, right? You had something that everyone like thought this was illegal, right? Like young sports would have been doing online gambling a decade ago if they thought they could have gotten away with it. And DraftKings was like, well, we're, we're just going to do it. Uh, and then enough people used it. And what happened is they changed the laws. Right. And so, you know, regardless of how the legal reality has changed, if a millions of Americans start doing something that they think is legal. It's very hard for the government to then say, no, 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 no. Look, we have a court over here. You know, this, you can't do this, you know, because you can't really put that back in the bottle. And so I think, you know, one of the best things that could happen is, you know, even if there's something that, that, well, we're not sure if it's legal or not, if this causes a bunch of people to go out and start doing it, that is great because that is one of the things that will actually make it legal. Do you think that if you had more money, the outcome of your place would have been different. Uh, more money. I mean, I, I honestly think uh, if I had uh, just been a little bit smarter, uh, I mean, I think I misunderstood key things about how <laughs> how a court and a trial actually work. Um, uh, and I think if I had just taken more time to learn some of these issues better myself, I think I could have done it myself better. So, I mean, I you know, more, would more money have... I'm not seen- yeah, would more money have helped? Absolutely. I actually think, given the amount of money we we spent on the case, I could have deployed those resources better and just done a better job with the money I had. But yeah, of course, more money would have been helpful. And there were times where if people asked us sometimes why we didn't do X or Y, and yeah, definitely money was part of the answer. I mean, I told our, our counsel, I was like, hey, 
you know, we we can't let this stretch out forever. We can't afford this to continue to go on. It's killing the business. And I encourage them to, you know, to to play it a little bit faster so that we could get through it one way or another. And that may have, um, you know, that may have 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 hurt us. I don't know, you know. But I think all sure. to our accounts and mixed arguments. That's exact. So, you know, yeah. Yeah, please. Uh, just to this exact conversation, I just pinned a tweet up in the nest from Meta Lawman James Murphy uh, talking about the transcript of the pre pre motion conference in SEC versus Coinbase because this is really relevant. This is one of his favorite quotes from the judge. The judge said this. This is in the pre motion for for Coinbase. What is the difference between those that are not securities and those that are, and how has that been communicated by the SEC to the investing public and to those involved in the space so that they know that this type of asset may implicate the securities laws and some other crypto asset may not. The SEC lawyer answers, paraphrasing, all they need to do is judge is read the 1946 Howey case about the orange groves. To which the judge said, I'm just trying to figure out how folks involved in the industry can know that a particular crypto asset with which they are involved is or is not going to be found at some later date by the SEC to be a security. Guys, this is the judge in the Coinbase case, who, by the way, shares an office uh, building with the judge from the Ripple case. The SEC is just getting absolutely. I read. I read that whole transcript. I think it's saying like sixty pages or sixty-six pages. I read. I read the whole transcript. It's like, it's like watching a crypto movie. It's like if you understand crypto, it's actually it was actually like quite like. You listen to these lawyers talking. You 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 side with. Obviously, I sided with with against the SEC with Coinbase, but I mean it's a it was it was actually super 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 interesting. And uh, again, I think the judge came out many times and said something like, well, you know, how, how are we to know? It's impossible to know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the, the other interesting thing about that case is how they look at staking. So one of the things you probably would have heard is that Coinbase have shut down staking in a couple of states recently. Um, and I think that's pressure coming from those individual states. Um, and it's, it's just quite interesting to understand how the SEC view staking versus how Coinbase view staking. Uh, it's like they're worlds apart. Steve, I see you have your hand up. If you want to, okay, go ahead, Bruce, and then Steve. Yeah, I was just going to say real quick. The um, you know, don't forget the the definition of security is not just Howie. It also Howie is a piece of the the part that uh, relates to investment contracts, but it also includes uh, stocks and bonds and other uh, evidence of debt. So staking would would you know debt is the security. You know, when you when you have it as a tradable instrument, so you know the Howie thing doesn't even necessarily matter, and and the and the XRP issue may be completely separate from the issue of you know whether staking is is a security. I mean, if you could so on a simple uh, the simplest uh, example would be if somebody creates a token and makes a bond and says this you're going to loan us money and we're going to pay you back the token plus ten percent. That's clearly a security, in my opinion, and and I think it would be in the SEC and the court's opinion as well. Yeah, what what the what the I with Bruce? I mean, that, that, that's a lot. What I was just going to say. I mean, I've you know, Bruce and I have both been in the financial services industry for you know decades now, and um, but, but I want to walk you through because people keep saying, "Well, how do I know? I don't know." You know, like you know, anybody that's been around long enough knows that any investment that you make on behalf of clients, right? You have to write up your investment thesis. That way, if there's any question whatsoever, the SEC comes through and they're doing either their annual review or they're investigating something, uh, they say, well, why'd you make this investment? Well, you pull up the paper that you wrote that says, here's my investment thesis. 
Uh, same thing in the crypto industry. If you're investing in a token on behalf of on behalf of clients and you're doing it in a vehicle that, say, doesn't allow securities, you need to have solid evidence of why you believe it is. Now, the SEC could come back later and say, okay, we, we deem this to be a security. Well, what safeguards you is that you put actual thought into it you maybe even have it, you know, as far as, as as a legal opinion, you might have your compliance officer opine as well. But you've written up a thesis of number one, why why you made the investment, why it's a solid investment. Number two, why you believe it was not a security when you made you know when you made the investment. Here's all the reasons why. And by the way, just like Bruce said, Howey test is not you know the 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 only body of work that governs what a security is. Uh, and, and, and that's, and that's what you do. And I think Coinbase actually did a pretty good job of, of, you know, in the Mm -hmm. early days, making a list of here are all the, you know, different tokens out here and you're the ones that we think are not securities or the ones that we think you are. And here's the test that we apply. It's, it's, it's good work. Not only that. Now, the other part is, is DeFi, right? DeFi, I, again, agree with Bruce. Um, you know, when it comes to staking, there's two different types of staking. There's, there's staking the network, you know, uh, where you're actually, you know, in, in proof of stake, you're 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 staking the network itself, and then there's also separate from that, and this is where uh, there hasn't been a whole lot of bifurcation by regulators. But separate from that is where you're entering into a staking pool, and that I truly believe is a security because you're creating essentially. A security contract. It's no different. Is that than effectively like staking as a service, Steve? Like staking as a service, like Kraken effectively got in, in trouble for. Yeah, it's basically pu- putting forward a a token, essentially lending it. Right, you're you're earning money for lending it. Somebody else is borrowing it and pay. That's not borrowing. That's not that's, the case. That's what DeFi pool. That's what a DeFi DeFi pool looks like. Uh, staking to the network to support the network is a completely different topic and that probably wouldn't be a security yeah so it's coinbase's arguments were on staking uh, as a network so staking ethereum or staking Solana as part of a vendor and, and their argument in the in the preliminary hearing was that all they're doing is providing a software service to allow to basically take people's tokens and allow them to to uh, what's the word stake them to the network um and and that, and that that I think that's the staking. I don't think, as far as I know, Coinbase don't do the other type of staking. Sorry, I I lost sound there. Ram, were you addressing that specifically to Steve? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, can you can you can you hear me, Scott? Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, you're fine. Yeah, well, so I think so that, I mean, that that's the that's the big the big argument is, um, you know. Around staking, whether it's an investment service or not an investment service, Coinbase claim it's not. Uh, anyway, I think I think what's going to happen with these things is the courts will resolve them over time. I think the the crypto community has at least now one ruling in their favor, which means that up until now, I think Gary Gensler was just swinging blindly, and now he just can't swing blindly anymore. I don't think he can come out and do another Solana Cardano. You know, twelve tokens are securities anymore because I think the the court's pretty much cutting off his hand. Yeah, I I a hundred percent agree with that, Joe. Do you agree with that? Because uh, you're obviously our contrarian pretty of <laughs> pretty often when we come in and start talking about uh, the the issue of whether these are are or not securities. 
Yeah, thanks for having me up. So it's an interesting discussion, and I think it's important to start with the basic tenets of the 33 Act, right? So in the securities analysis, I think it was Bruce that said it, there are certain defined instruments which in and of themselves are securities, and those are defined by statute. In other words, Congress said, we're going to make sure that these types of things, bonds, other instruments, that they're understood to be securities. And in the context of how and investment contracts, which is generally what we're talking about here, it's a very different test, right? And the test under Howey, and this is not my opinion, this is, you know, in the case law, it's on the SEC's own website when they're talking about the framework for digital assets. They describe that the focus of the Howey analysis is on not on the instrument itself, but on the transaction, okay? Exactly what is occurring. And under certain transactions, we're going to imply by law a contract that transforms it into a security. So one instrument in itself can be both a security and not a security, depending on what transaction is involved with. For example, Bitcoin, I think most people, most part participants say that is not a security, right? But if I loan Scott my Bitcoin and I say, Scott, I'll give you this Bitcoin in exchange for a 5% yield and you go out and assess counterparties, you lend it out, suddenly that is transformed by virtue of the transaction into an implied in law contract, an investment contract. So it's really important when we're talking about these things like, well, can this thing be a security? Can this thing be a security? Uh, can it not be a security? The answer is it can always be a security. The question is what transaction is involved? So that's what effectively the judge uh, ruled in, in the Ripple decision. The judge ruled that in the original sales, right, that that, that, that basic transaction was an implied in law investment contract, which they had to pay, uh, they had to register for. They couldn't raise that kind of money uh, without going through the proper regulatory channels. So the the idea of, I think somebody was referencing the judge in the, in the Coinbase suit, and I think the, the judge's question, what she's really getting at is, does the SEC's position, is it that a thing in and of itself can be a security? And we don't really have clear guidance from the SEC on that. They've never really taken a position. I mean, like I said, I I can show you passages from their own website. They're the masters of not taking a position. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and there, is Ethereum a security? Uh, well, there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. The reason they don't take a position, I'm just just to give you the other side. I mean, we have to. It's always important to steel man the other side. The other side is that we're not going to give clear guidance that this or is or is not a security because what I just said earlier that under certain transactions it can be a security. For example, XRP, right? Certain transactions it can. So what, what, what market participants need to know, they need to know that in the particular transaction that's occurring, does it fit the bill for Howard? If not, then you're good. And, 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 and so far, I do not think the SEC has taken a clear position ever that a token in and of itself can be a security, which is really important and it's meaningful. I think the most meaningful thing to me in this case is that the judge Torres has made the decision. The appeal is going to take a very long time. So the narrative, whether true or false right now, is that all of this stuff is not securities and people are going to proceed forward. Well, keep in mind, I'm not saying they're right or they're wrong. I'm just telling you that when we see everybody relisting these coins and we see them talking about moving forward and we see the price action reflecting it. I think whether it, uh, however it sort of plays out in the wash at the end, at this exact moment, that's going to be the narrative in the view. I saw Eleanor, yeah, you I... raise your hand. Eleanor, you raise your hand. Uh, yeah, I just have a question for Joe. I'm just wondering what you think about, 
you know, will the SEC ever take a position on this? Or is it kind of their job to be deliberately sort of vague? So, you know, with with times changing, with technology changing, they can kind of be, um, you know, not so uh, concrete down the line. They kind of sow that sort of discord to be like, all right, well, we can change our minds at some point if we feel it necessary. Do you think they'll ever take a, a staunch position? Yeah, it's a great question. And it goes back to, no, I don't think they'll ever take a staunch position because their positions are taken in cases and they're taken with respect to specific transactions. And if you were to tweak the fact pattern just ever so slightly with what the Ripple decision was, you could easily make the argument that secondary market sales were in fact investment contracts. Let me explain how. One of the big reasons the judge pointed to is that she talks about a blind order book in which the programmatic sales were only 1% of the daily volume, meaning that in, in the overall market space, uh, Ripple's influence in the programmatic sales was was de minimis, right? It was less than 1% or 1%. What about a situation, and this is how case law has always developed, where the uh, the issues of the tokens are doing programmatic sales that account for half of the daily volume. There are hundreds of tokens right now where the issues of the tokens sell on spot exchanges in secondary markets and they make up over half of the daily volume. Does that change Judge Torres's analysis? Does that mean in that context, a secondary market sale would in fact be an investment contract? I, I have my own views on this, but you know, I'm, I'm not a court and I'm not a judge, right? So a judge in a different circumstance, as the case in most securities litigation, can come down the other way. They can say, no, we think these secondary market sales tokens are in fact investment contracts. And and this is how case law develops. And and the real problem here is that case law that's developed uh, you know, case by case decision creates confusion and vagueness in the space. And it would be a heck of a lot better if Congress just got off their butts and acted and passed some sort of legislation so that we don't have piece by piece litigation on certain issues with lack of market clarity. Look, I must be honest, I'm, I'm so legal about them. I, mean, I think our legal, our discussions have been so legal in nature since the, the whole uh, Ripple, Ripple case. I think, we, I think you know, we, we're so stuck in the, in the weeds of the legal that we've forgotten to look around and see what's actually going on. And if I do look at, at what's going on, You've got Solana coming back to pre-FTX levels. You've got Matic on the pump again. You've got Cardano on the pump again. I guess that that's just going to carry on until such time as we get some kind of more clarity through through more places. I think until then, people are deeming that it's it's business. I won't say business as usual. It's, I'd say it's business with caution. And uh, and and right now, or it's an old season, or back to business, right? Yeah, it's back to business. It's back to business. And I, I mean, I must say, like, while this has all been happening and you know, people have been talking about this, we've got XRP pumping, we've got XLM pumping, we've got Matic pumping. I'm actually, I'm actually just going to quickly log on to Banter Bubbles and quickly just look at, I'll, I'll just quote you some um, on the monthly. So let's just quickly look on the monthly. you got BCH, 123% up. you got Compound, 146% up. you got Solana, 2.35%. you got uh, uh, Stella. 62.5%. You've got uh, Pepe up 60%. You've got Ivory up 40.3%. You've got Chainlink up 33%. So for now, it seems like it's business. Business. What, do you, what did you say, Scott? Open for business again. What, what was the term? Back to business. I just think Back to the, we, we went through this phase over the last year and a half. I can't even say how long at this point because it all blurs together where all of a sudden, you know, Gensler and the SEC is sort of an uptick in rhetoric against all coins and the whole conversation about securities. And like I said, I, I don't think that we're very clear on what is or is not a security. What I do think it's clear is that the industry is taking it as if these are not securities. Let's go. 
Yeah, I think with that, with those with those lessons in mind, I think we can sit here and we can debate the legal discussions ad nauseum, and I think we have done that already. We can carry on doing it. We can carry on debating what we think and what we think. I think time will sort out. I think it's back to business on the market. I think if you look close enough on the markets and you can develop a whole lot of and, and understand the narratives that are pumping, there's a lot of money to be made in the interim. And it's you know I think I think if we keep focusing on the legal arguments, we'll never get there. Yeah, I, I agree 100. percent It's it's hard to talk about anything else, but uh, I think that the real bottom line is no matter how deep we get in the legalese, what matters, I think certainly what matters to us because of the way we approach this market is how the market is taking the news and what that's going to mean for the market in general. I really believe that regardless of whether it's the truth or not, we know how people interpret news, that now it's open season. I, I really think so. Gareth, I, I mean, before we go, Gareth, what do you think? I mean, uh, you you're obviously we talked about Bitcoin. Do you have a particular feeling on what altcoins will do now in light of sort of this obstacle being lifted? Jarvis been on uh, on Benjamin Cowan's show very often, so um, I suspect he's going to tell us that he thinks the dominance is good. Bitcoin dominance is going to go up. Yeah, I'm not sure he's here. Anyways, um, anyone else uh, final thoughts here before we, we wrap? I, mean, this is one I think one one quick point on your uh, on your point ran about you know all all we think about is legal. I mean, that's a shame, you know, uh, I'll, I'll uh, prop to my, you know, many good friends who are lawyers who are uh, hopefully doing well financially in the last several years with this. But other than that, it's, it's case and a whole bunch of other people have to spend just hours and hours and hours de- de- dealing with this legal stuff without, without clarity. I mean, you know, here you have a company like, no, I, mean, I, I hear you, Bruce, but it's just, I think this, you know, we've spoken about this legal case. And it just feels to me like, you know, there's no progress that we're going to get now. We've heard the case over and over and over and over and over again. And I think we are where we are and we must just let the legal processes take their take their course, no? We remember, we should remember, though, that the root of all of this pain and suffering is, as with almost everything bad in the world, it's politicians. It's politicians, busy body, busy, busy body nanny state politicians. And in this case, people who have been dead for half a century. That's who's causing this pain right now. A bunch of pen-headed idiots who back in 1933, who grew up without cars, whose fathers and grandfathers were Civil War veterans, they got together in 1933 and decided there ought to be a law. That's what causes problems across the board. Everything from why we're fat because we're eating seed oils to why people are getting shot to why, you know, you can't go to Target in San Francisco without it getting robbed. It's always politicians. These pinheaded clowns, we don't even know their names. A bunch of people in 1933 all got together. Oh, well, yeah, we got to really protect the investor. And if you look at the other things that that Congress passed, a bunch of crap, a bunch of junk. One of the worst Congresses in history, 1933 and 34, two of the principal acts, they passed a whole bunch of junk. And here we are 90 years later still paying for it. That's yeah. the lesson we should have from this. Bruce, say this argument every day. Today is the last game that I want to talk about it, uh, I think, from tomorrow. But just yesterday you said you wanted more regulation, so it's important because you can't compare about it and then and then have more regulation. I'm talking about regulation because I think that this regulation argument is so stale and this argument about how we how Congress is bad is so stale. And to be honest, I want to get that the real business of altcoins and which altcoins to buy and which altcoins to sell because that's why I'm here. I'm not here to talk about the legal. The lawyers will carry on doing illegals. And I think what I want to talk about is I want to talk about altcoins and I want to talk about which altcoins to invest in. 
and, and whether I think the markets are going to go up and down. And so I think tomorrow we'll prepare a show where we where we go and we talk about altcoins and we talk about and we talk about investing and we talk about what we should be doing. I just think that we can have these legal arguments every day. We've spoken about the BlackRock ETF and the Bitwise ETF for the last 15 days. And we've said the same thing for the last 15 days. We've just said different, different sides of the argument. I think, it's, I think it's time to move on to, to actually different business, bigger business, other business. Let me know in the comments. If you guys are in the comments, let me know what you guys think. I mean, we could, uh, uh, I'm also open to hear, hearing from you, Scott, and maybe the rest of the speakers. I just, I just can't imagine talking more about ETFs and talking more about uh, case precedent when there's nothing actually going on. Uh, Joe, Joe, has, Joe has his hand up. He wants to tell you more about the ETF in case precedent. You know, you know, I actually, <laughs> actually don't, but I think it, 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 it's germane to what you're talking about, Ryan and uh, Ryan and uh, Ryan and the in the idea that I think is interesting here is that if it is correct, okay, and then let's just put the legal error aside. Let's just assume it is correct that tokens in and of themselves cannot be securities, which it seems to be what George, Judge Torres ruled. Then what that opens the door to in the coming cycle is aggregations of tokens. And let me explain, like one of the dominant themes of the investing world for the last 30 years has been passive indexation, right? Indexing, uh, you know, stock and doing an SP 500 fund or uh, other ETF type vehicles. And, and obviously if you're indexing securities, you're effectively launching a new security. So one, one thing that some market participants, uh, that I've talked to both, you know, officially and unofficially. Um, have talked about for the next cycle is like, are there, is there, is the passive indexation model instead of coming to crypto, right? If these tokens in and of themselves are not securities, why won't folks just at large aggregate them? Uh, what, what, what prohibition is there on that? The, the FTC can't really step in if they're taking the position that tokens in and of themselves. So you could buy, you know, the, 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 the top shit index, index, yeah. index, yeah. NFT, yeah. The, the, the Bitcoin index, not the companies that we've been seeing them uh, surrounding. Exactly. So you don't, you know, like the old John Vogel say or praise, you don't need to pick the winner. You don't need to pick the needle in the haystack. You can just buy the haystack. And, and that's an interesting concept. I don't think it's come to crypto yet. And uh, we, it may be something that comes in the next cycle, given some of these precedents that have come down. Yeah, I think that that's definitely something we're going to see. Guys, you may have just noticed that a very, very red logo of a podcast mic just appeared on stage that's crypto underscore town hall that is where eventually we will be hosting all of these conversations from in the future so please and we're also going to get that account much more active uh, so you have a reason to follow it but the reason to follow it is because if you want to know when our spaces are going live that's the account we will be uh, launching from so please i see a little purple heart happening on it everything uh, please go follow that account because uh, we don't want you to miss these conversations in the future when we do uh, migrate off of Mario's account and over to that one. So, so Ren, uh, the bottom line, I think your summary here, I can't hang up on you, so you don't have to worry about it. I don't have that power. Uh, is that uh, you want to start talking about markets a little more, huh? Yeah, I want to start talking about. I want to start talking about markets. I want to start talking about which markets, which narratives are moving. I'm noticing a couple of narratives that are moving, and I think it's important that we share it with with the communities. Um, you know, I think there's a, uh, one thing we'll talk about tomorrow is that I think there's a new narrative in the markets that's a, as big as meme coins, if not if not bigger than meme coins. And I think that most people aren't even you know p- people are making hundreds of X's. And I think that you know I think we should probably introduce it to the to the crypto family and, and talk about that and, and a couple of other narratives that are going on. Can you give us a hint? <laughs> Can you give us a hint? I want to go uh, make a hundred X. Oh no! Just tune in tomorrow. Tune in tomorrow, Scott. Tune in tomorrow. Uh, 
yeah. I'm but supposed I, to be in the know. I, I've got, I've got, I'm in the know, yeah, but I think we need to, to we'll, we'll do it tomorrow. Um, I think also, I think we'll spend a lot more time actually talking about different cryptos and, you know, different narratives that are running, different sectors that are running, why they're running. You know, there's an L2 narrative and Ethereum layer 2 narrative that, that's happening. We'll talk about why that's happening. Uh, I think, yeah, I think until there is real legal news and until there's real progress in the ETFs, yeah, I don't want to hear more about the ETFs now. I've heard, I've heard it a million times. It just sounds insane to me every single day. All right. Well, I'm sure it'll it'll come up uh, and it will be breaking news in the future. But yeah, for now, I think that we've uh, beat it, beat beat that uh, dead horse and continue to beat it. So listen, guys, that's all we got for, for today. Uh, obviously, a kind of a, a shorter show, but a really great insight, I think. And gave us some inspiration for for tomorrow. So, Rand, any final words before uh, the ghost of Mario lets us go? I think we'll uh, we'll see everyone tomorrow. All right. I can't, now I'm hoping to get the alpha from you that I don't even know about as a host. So I'm looking forward to it. Cool, guys. See you tomorrow.